My name's Jamie. I started listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast because I was tired of feeling ashamed and alone. I found a community of supporters and survivors that empowered and inspired me. I'm so grateful to the men and women who helped me heal from my trauma. That's why I chose to speak on the When Dating Hurts podcast in hopes of paying it forward. The When Dating Hurts podcast is rated one of the most popular relationships podcasts in the world. Why is that? It's our guests. Whether you're listening to subject matter experts or domestic violence survivors, you know you're hearing what you need to know. And that is the truth about dating and domestic violence. Why it happens, how it happens, when it happens, where it happens, and how victims become survivors. This podcast is a powerful way for you, your friends, and your family to stay informed and stay safe. Danielle Patrice is a highly animated, passionate, and determined woman who asked for an interview. She is also the author of a new book she will talk about. This conversation is in three parts because it takes time for this story to unfold. Like so many who are abused, Danielle was ill-equipped to recognize the warning signs or how to react. She was the perfect victim for a guy who needed time to tie her up in an unhealthy relationship. Let's get started. Here's part one. Today we're speaking with Danielle Patrice, the author of a new book entitled Neurosystem, The Ecosystem of Domestic Violence. This book is found online on both Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Danielle was a victim of domestic violence. Today she's a survivor. You will be hard pressed to find anyone more passionate about domestic violence in all of its countless facets than Danielle. You will see what I'm saying. Today we're speaking with Danielle Patrice, and she's the author of the book called Neuroscience, the Ecosystem of Domestic Violence, can be found on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. I know I'm going to get the book. I hope people listening in are going to get the book. Danielle, why don't you kind of give us a sense of who you are and what life was like growing up and what got you interested in the subject of domestic violence? And good morning. Nice to meet you. Good morning, and thank you for having me. So I am, let's start off, a mother. I am a domestic violence survivor, motivational speaker. I am now an author, and I'm an activist. What that means for me is growing up, I lived in a household where it was a lot of dysfunction. I also grew up in a, a single-parent household. And I want to say, you know, there's different things, uh, you know, growing up and seeing different snippets of, how can I say, little things that kind of make things full circle. So I've seen a lot of domestic violence situations happening. I saw a lot of, I'd say with different relatives and their significant others, I've, I've witnessed that as a child. I'm seeing the dynamics of different relationships, you know, that may not necessarily be domestic violence related, but it's not 
it's not a workable relationship, the best way I can say. Uh, not workable, meaning like not sustainable. It's not going to. Right. It right. Can't, it, can't, it can't go on like this. Right. Right. And, and just, or just having, you know, not coming together to, as a parents, like my parents were divorced. They, they were not compatible at all that they live on two opposite sides of the country. So my mother being in New Jersey, my father being in California, that oh. they couldn't stand each other. They're on the opposite sides of the country. So for me, I want to say the best relationship I've seen for myself, and that would be my grandparents, my grandmother and step grandfather who, who helped raise me. And even though they had their squabbles, I still felt like that was a better example for me than what I've seen over the years. And just for me, I always thought that I would never be in those type of situations or, you know, I hoped that I would be a different type of partner growing up. And so that actually revealed itself, I, I want to say, more so in college. Graduated of Tennessee State University 2008. One of the first instances I've, I've seen domestic violence related was I was going out with a friend of mine. We went and hung out at his house and he had roommates. And all of a sudden we just hear this commotion happening and his roommates started beating on this girl, on his girlfriend. And we're hearing this and we're like, oh God, we got to get out of here. I peeked out to look outside the, see what was going on. And we couldn't leave the apartment because he was beating on this woman at the door. So we had to wait until. You're on the other side of the door when this is happening. Right. We're at, in like, it's like. A living space, like, you know, four rooms, you know, different roommates. This is like college dorms or not dorms, but it's like their own apartment. So four roommates. And so we're in, we're hanging out in in his room watching TV and then we're hearing this commotion. And so we can't leave because we're trying to get out of the the apartment, but he's blocking that apartment door. Oh my God. So once he finally got into his room and we... He was like throwing things out of that room. My friend, he said, all right, let's go. And we bolted out of there. We ran out of that room, ran to the front door and just left. It was, I mean, just a scary situation. You know, I'm a mass comm major. I'm my bachelor's in uh, communications. And so I remember having to write a skit on uh, different commercials. And I, I did a PSA, public service announcement. And I remember writing this and it was domestic violence related. I had no idea, like different things over time stemmed into this situation that I was going to experience. Did you pick that subject or was it given to you? I picked that subject. Did you pick it because of what you saw or experienced? No, I I thought that it was a, a good cause for a PSA. And yeah, and again, like this was almost 20 years ago, but you know, the thing is I wanted to have this public service announcement and just talk about it as a, as a cause, not something that I felt initially that I needed to discuss, you know, personally, I didn't have the substance that I have now that I can say, this is what I went through. Yes. During those years of my collegiate career, that is where I met my ex-husband, my former abuser. And so that's ironically, we met in, in Spanish class and we became friends over time. And during that time, you know, he walked me to class. We were dating other people, but he would walk me to class. We would talk. He, he would help me fix my car. I mean, it was just, I, I really enjoyed our friendship. He was like my best friend at the time. I, I say, you couldn't tell me then 
that what kind of person he would turn out to be. You, you couldn't tell me because it was just the person that he was. It was it was a, a, a beautiful friendship that I felt at the time. Uh, this was 2008, 2009, actually six weeks after I graduated from Tennessee State, my mother committed suicide. My mother. Oh, my God. And my mother had a mental illness. And unfortunately, oh. uh, during that time, she also went to a particular clinic and the medication that I feel that was prescribed also interfered with whatever was happening, uh, I believe, medically in her brain. And this is just me saying that. And I believe within 10 days, she took her life. So you find that out. How did you deal with or embrace that situation? I mean, that that's a life-changing, that gives you a whole different feeling about why we're here and what it's all about. Absolutely. I, you know, my mother and I were not always on the best terms. It was very difficult. A lot of it was guilt because I wish I, my mother and I did have our mother-daughter relationship uh, intact. And a lot of that I couldn't deal with because my mother, she had bipolar, um, I believe was it uh, paranoid schizophrenia. She was bipolar, paranoid schizophrenic. And for the longest, I had no idea that she had this illness because my mother wasn't treated. By the time I became an adult, I had no idea that she had this illness. Mm-hmm. So my mother going to a clinic, getting, you know, getting prescribed these medications, I believe one was for depression and one was for that the actual illness. I believe that definitely counteracted. I had no idea until actually the very next day. And I'll just say this real quick. So I just, I feel like I believe in, in signs and I believe in, I don't want to say like symbolic symbolism. So I remember feeling like uh, that day, the night before, I remember watching, there was this movie uh, called Poetic Justice with Janet Jackson and Tupac in the early 90s. And this particular night, I remember watching it because I haven't seen it as a kid, so I wanted to see it. And there was a particular incident where, or a scene where Janet Jackson talks about how her mother committed suicide and when she was 12 years old. And I said, oh my God, like what mother would do that? I can't believe that. Not knowing that was the night my mother committed suicide. Oh, gee. And I didn't find out until that next day. And What a connection. Right. I used to live in, in Nashville, Tennessee, where that's where Tennessee State is. And I remember getting a call from my aunt and my aunt screaming, crying. And, and I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? And she said, your mother was found, like, found dead. And I'm like, wait, what? And trying to compute that. At 22 or at any age is, is what do you mean she's found dead? What do, what do you mean? And I just, I just went berserk. I was just like, oh my God, like this is real. This is happening. I did not know. Like all I could do was call people, call my father uh, at the time we were close. And I said, you know, daddy, mommy's dead. And he flew from California to Nashville. I called my friends who, you know, in the area, like my mom's dead. My mom's found dead. And one of the things that I will say my relatives did was they that they told me not to don't go to identify her body. Don't go because we were actually living in she was living in Nashville too. So don't identify her. Like basically, and I, I felt that that was the time I was like, no, I should identify her. But I, as a mother now, I understand why because that's a lasting yeah. effect yeah. that I yeah, that'll never leave you right. And so I did not. I, luckily, I did not do that. But I remember, you know, just crying and crying and not understanding what happened. And so nobody in my family would tell me how she passed. I had no idea. I just knew she was dead. So I didn't know that 
she had actually committed suicide. And so one day my, uh, my aunt, my other aunt, she, I think she contacted one of her friends. And when she contacted her friend, her friend calls me and says, so Danielle, um, yeah, I'm your aunt's friend. So tell me, um, did your mom think about um, committing suicide? I'm like, what? I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And it was just so like casual. Did your mom ever think about committing suicide? And I'm just, wait, what are you talking about? And I said, how, how did my mother pass? I found out that the, the conversation when your mother committed suicide, she hung herself um, with the bathroom rod. She had wow. a scarf and hung herself on the bathroom rod. So uh, that's how they found her. Mm. And mm. it was the most traumatic experience. And so then I got angry because I always felt internally that there was something wrong. I wanted help for my mother. I'm not screaming for help. Like, she needs help. My mother needs help. And the one thing I'll say for anyone who's been or have a relative who has a mental illness, that one of the things I've come across is that the person that the person who has mental illness, so whoever they love the most, that person gets the brunt of whatever that illness is. So I used to get a lot of the brunt of it. And that used to, I had to separate myself. Makes a lot of sense. Gee. It's, it's, so I had to separate because I couldn't deal with the mood swings. I couldn't deal with the, it, the ups and downs. It, it was a lot. You know, I'm her only child. And so I, and I wished at that time, like I wish our other relatives would have helped the way that she needed. My, uh, my grandparents were passed by that point. And so I, you know, having to grapple with that, I had to step up. You know, I had to, over that time, having to be a part of making arrangements, funeral arrangements, being a part of, and actually making the decisions as the next of kin. You know, it's different, you know, I say, you know, you're burying your your grandparents, you know, they're of older age, maybe in their 70s or 80s. My mother was 44 and I was 22. That is way too young to, for her and you to, to have that happen. Right. So I had to prepare and had to really go in, you know, knowing my mother, okay, this is how I want her coffin to be or, or fight to say, no, she's not getting cremated. She's getting buried or having to contact her employers, you know, that where she worked and say, Hey, my mother's, you know, she's passed. I had to handle a lot of this paperwork and still having to grieve. And the thing is suicide is, is such a different type of grief because, you know, homicide, you can blame that person. You killed my mother. You did this, you know, cancer, it's a long waiting disease. It takes time for that person to, you know, to pass, but you're waiting for that. And it wasn't like somebody did that to her in that case. Right. Suicide is so complicated because it, it's, it's almost like to me, it split everything into before her passing, after her passing for one. And then two, no one could understand how I felt as her child going through that people, you know, you, you have the, the link, Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. People don't really know what to say to you. Mm-hmm. And they'll say all types of things that, you know, I may find offensive that I may just uh, get angry about, get upset about because they don't know how to really talk to someone. How, how do you handle that? And especially in 2009, suicide was not really discussed. It was not discussed the way it's discussed more so today. So I had to just, immerse myself into handling business. And that means becoming her executrix. I had to learn what an executrix was. I didn't know that term. I had to learn that over the two, you know, that time and and actually be an executrix of her small estate. And I had to learn how to handle all of her affairs. 
things that were in debt. I had to handle that. I had to collect her, her, like her death certificate. I had to handle all of these things. And it's not, I mean, and not easy. And, you know, a funeral can take a week, maybe two. But the, also I had to, we had different memorial services and one in, in Tennessee and also had to fly her body to New Jersey. So the terminology is also different because when you're thinking you're flying a plane, you know, or you're going on a plane, you know, hey, I'm going to take a ticket where I had to address her as cargo. And that's a hard, it's hard. There were certain nicknames my mother had for me. I, I wouldn't let anybody else use that term. That, that was something that was meant for her. Or the little inside jokes, the, the little quirky humor that my mother both sh- and I both shared. The person who knew me best, no matter what condition she was in, you know, she was my protector. She encouraged me to be the person I am today is no longer here. And that itself is a, is a pill to swallow. And then seeing the future... I have children now to have to bring up her memory, her legacy, what she stood for, how she was, how brilliant she was, how beautiful she was, you know, or wishing that my children could have seen her, could have experienced her love and being there for, for them. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. They were completely denied that person in their lives. Right. Right. As was she because of her own physical body just got in the way of everything. At 22 years old, that's a lot to chase down the register of wills and terminology, all this terminology, all these phone calls you have to make, to send stuff, wait for stuff. That's a lot to ask of somebody who's 22 years old and who's just starting to really get out into the world. And those things that come along in your life, you know, if you get married, if you have kids, you want a family, especially you want your parents to be there to see that and enjoy that. And, and then none of that takes place. The whole part of your, what would have been your future in right. that book of your life as all those pages are pulled out and put somewhere else. They're, they're not being written then. Right. And I appreciate too, you're talking about the nicknames that your mother used to share with you. And it's like, no, 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 no one else gets to use that. That's proprietary. That was ours. That was our thing. That's not your thing. I get that. At some point you, with this boyfriend, this kind of turns into what was kind of a wonderful sharing and he's helping with the car and doing different things. And it's like, wow, this is really great. This could last a long time. It starts to go bad. At the time we were actually friends when my mother passed and he, this is kind of the transition where during her passing the funerals and whatnot, this is the most poignant point, but most significant point, because that's when I see him in a different light. Prior to that, my mother's passing, I didn't, he was not somebody I was going to really pay attention to, was not interested in. But then I saw a different side of him and as comforting, as gentle, as, you know, really being there for me during that time of, of mourning. Oh, he was. I mean, you're saying he was. He really did play that part well then. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my family met him because I, I had my own apartment back then and he used to come over. And so when my family came from, you know, New Jersey, California, you know, just different states, he would come over, he, you know, would bring them drinks. He, you know, everybody at that point knew him. And what I did find out later is my father said, oh, he likes Danielle. He likes her. Never told that to me, but I just looked at him as a friend. Like we were just good friends. And so my family actually, you know, they got on with him, got along. But I, at the time, I think months later, this is still 2009, 
we started talking and I ended up finding out from his relative, his cousin, that he likes you. And I said, really? And this is was news to me. Cause I'm like, are you, I'm like not even thinking about him. You're not shopping at that time. Right. I'm still trying to figure things out. And so I ended up, we ended up going on a road trip because I was planning to go back to New Jersey and he was going to Maryland. He was like, well, why don't you just ride with me? I said, okay. And at the time he was still dating someone. For me, it's so interesting when I think about it because the narrative change as well, like, you know, as, as far as, you know, I thought this was your girlfriend. I confronted him like, hey, your, your cousin told me that you like me. And he said, yeah, I do. And I said, what about your girlfriend? Oh, we're we're not. She's not my really my girlfriend. I know she lives there, but, you know, we're, we're not really together. You know, those kind of stories. And it's I'm like, you sure? Because, you know, she came to the funeral. We were, we're friends. He's like, no, you know, we're, you know. And then, so it's whatever story that was, that was, he said, yeah, I believe this. Okay. Well, I don't see a reason why he's going to lie to me. Okay. I went with it. It was a whirlwind. I filmed the beginning. It was a whirlwind. It was like, oh, this is exciting because at that point prior to, I, it was just me, you know, again, I lost my mother. I'm the only child. And a lot of my relationships with relatives fell by the wayside. Just so I really was on my own. And then here my friend comes as this knight in shining armor is really, he's really there. He cares for me. He wants to be with me. And, and so I did not see it at first. I saw this great guy. I saw that he was very smart and we were just having a good time. And it wasn't until I, I want to say, and like his attitude would change. A lot of in the beginning was verbal and emotional abuse. And it, it was the way he talked to me or he called me out of, out of my name, calling me stupid because I didn't know a certain fact about him. We're just getting to know each other at that point. It was a complete 180 from what I knew of him prior. Again, as a, a friend, I think that's what's so important in this particular situation is that the mask of a friend is completely different than someone who's in that actual relationship. It was, I'm going to marry you. You're going to be my wife. I remember that. We were talking about we were, we were going to get married, but it was very early on. I was like, oh, okay. And it also helped too. I did have a little, you know, some little money after my mom passed as well. So it was like, okay, yeah, she has some money, you know, and so I was able to rent a car and go to certain places. Or I was able to do certain things and, and we could have fun or, or just, we, I think our thing at the time was driving around, just having, just having a road trip or whatnot. The one thing I, I noticed is how secretive he was about his own life, because I, by the time we started dating, I didn't realize how many siblings he had. I didn't realize that he had, you know, a two parent household. I didn't realize you know, what kind of background he had. And that was revealed over time. And by this point, I've known him, I think, for a year and a half. Do you feel his being secretive, was he just a secretive type of person about that? Or was there things that he'd prefer you did not know about? I think that he intentionally didn't want me to know about. I think that he was more of a showman type of person where flashy. He was a person that was ready to show, oh, look what I have. Look at, look at this, look at that. But I feel like the people that he loved the most are kept to it. He kept that to himself, you know? So I think that that's, I think it's also key looking into that. What do you think the flashiness, the flashiness, all that is put out there, but, but the real substance is not there. Is that what you're saying? In other words, he's not as great as he's portraying. I believe that. And I, and I say that because, you know, maybe that's something that he wants to, 
someone that's special in his life that he wants to share only with them, or he doesn't want you to exploit whatever his, where his true heart is. When I met his family, like I said, it was a big family and very close. It's something completely different than what I've experienced, how I grew up. But I also feel like, you know, looking back is that it could have been the, it didn't fit his persona because he knows that his family is going to be his number one support. He knows that. And so whatever he was outside is completely different than what he's going to be inside with that family. So you and a lot of other things are kind of like just extras. Yes. It'd be nice to have as opposed to have to have. Right. You also use the word his background. He was kind of secretive about his background. I think with him, it was what I know about my ex-husband is that he is very image-based. So, you know, for me, I felt that he wants to show you how tough he is. He wants to show you, yeah, I can be this type of guy. Yet his upbringing to me is, I didn't, I grew up in middle class, let's say that. I grew up, but I grew up also with my grandparents. So it wasn't like it, it, I grew up uh, significantly poor or in a poorer neighborhood, but I also noticed that he grew up in an upper middle class background. To me, it's it's like, are you this person because of your background or are you portraying this person because this is who you aspire to be? You want to be looked upon as or admired or feared, you know, what have you, to be in this particular setting or to be accepted or to feel to belong. We're about at the year and a half mark and he's not being anywhere near as nice as he was and he's shooting comments to you that are unpleasant and picking on you or whatever he's doing. What else does he start to expose about the way he handles you? The carelessness. He was the first person, I can honestly say, where I did not feel safe with him. That I didn't feel like my my well-being mattered to him. It was weird to me because I've always felt whether I was out with friends or, you know, dating someone, I feel like I'm in control or I'm in this safe space. And for the first time, I did not feel that way. And I did not, you know, I felt like I did not know how to get out of this situation or have the resources, like maybe to up and get out of a car because I'm in a situation where I'm maybe in a different state that I don't know where I'm am at and I don't know anyone who lives in this state. So now I'm I'm at his mercy. And whatever that looks like where, you know, when I'm being in his mercy could take full advantage. I can treat you this way or I can talk to you any kind of way. Or he was gone for a few hours. I know he was out with his relatives. I did not feel a sense of being safe. And that's one of the red flags for me that I wish Knowing what I know now, I wish that I would have I would have been stronger enough to have gotten out of that. Is he being just really inconsiderate or you're uncomfortable or is it that you feel literally unsafe? For instance, you could say some people I've talked with, they're in a car driving with somebody, the person, the guy's driving in this case. He just drives recklessly. He's driving way too fast. He's ignoring her pleas to slow this thing down. And, and there was obviously a safety issue there, and it's not being heated at all. And this guy's like, hey, you think that's fast? Look at this. Going out of his way to make her uncomfortable. Was this guy doing that, or do you think he's just inconsiderately 
just not worrying about how you feel about what's going on and how it might proceed? I think it was a combination of both. We went to his home state and he hung out with one of his relatives going to different neighborhoods or or hanging around different people. And I'm left to, I, I don't know where I am. I don't know who these people are. And so what I would do, I would sit in the car because I'm like, I do not want to be in any of this, or I would try to find a way to leave and, and walk away because I did not like where I was. I didn't feel safe. I, so I would either send a car or I would tell his cousin, like, I'm leaving. Like, I'm, I'm not dealing with this. I don't know what is going on. And they would both try to stop me. Like, no, he really likes you. He wants to be with you. It was like kind of, you know, kind of talking me back into like, no, don't leave. And, or he would try to, I don't even remember if he apologized or not, but I just remember him trying to, wanted me to stay. And it's like, look, I want to be out of here. I want to go back to wherever we were. And he's like, okay, you know, I'll just give me a little bit. And I, and not knowing what he was doing at the time, not knowing what was going on, but just left at someone else's house who I don't know while he's out doing God knows what. Did you ever figure out or learn later where he really was? No, because I don't, you know, like that's some of the things over time I still don't know. It's a, it's a lot of things that, you know, it's like, and, and I know that his cousin wasn't going to tell me like a hundred percent of what's happening. I know that uh, during that time, I remember just him being him being at his cousin's house, being in, and just staying there with someone and him just leaving and being, being forced to stay there. not forced, like as a, like against held against my will, but not having a way to get anywhere, not knowing this person. You're stuck. Right. It's anxiety producing. You know, you're right. like you say, you're out of control. You have no control over what's going on. You don't have access. You want to eject. You want to go back to Tennessee or where home is at that time and just, right. you want to be around your own stuff and turn this other thing off. And this person is inconsiderate. Right. So now what happens? So by this point, I, w- I had moved from Tennessee to Philadelphia and I lived there briefly. I think at that time, I think we had actually, we may have broken up briefly. Well, I remember trying to break up with I remember trying and wanting to, and because it was just like the back and forth, the long distance. And then, you know, I remember him going back to his home state and telling me, yeah, yeah, well, I'm only going to be there for a couple of days. And again, it would turn to days. I didn't have my clothes. I didn't have anything, just clothes on my back. And it, again, this he's with his family or he's with his friends or whomever. I don't know these people. I don't feel comfortable being around these people. I don't feel secure in this situation, not having a way to get back and being on my own dealing with this, not knowing who to to trust. I definitely feel unsafe with that and wanting to uh, to break up. And then I remember him calling me, screaming at me, you want to break up? And, and it's like, okay, no, 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 I don't, you know, like, okay. I know at that point I could not handle that. I could not, this is all in the same year of what I've dealt with you know, of my grieving. You really had a, you had a lot going wrong. You're telling me. Like, you could not have been more on your own island in life right. than that. You are definitely your everything right there. You, alone. And had to be, you know, there was no choice with that. And I just would say briefly, where's my family and all of this? My family at this point, we definitely, I separated. I had to separate myself. Um, You know, one of the things I, I want to point out was that over the course of my mother's passing, within like two months, I've had relatives my father included, saying, Danielle, you need to move on. You need to get over this. Move on. Just feeling disgusted and offended that someone could say this. Like, this is my mother. 
you're my father. And at the end of the day, I know you don't, you know, care for, her, you, you know, you divorced her, but you know, respect the fact that this is my mother. This was your ex-wife who I lost and, and who raised me. My, I, again, I was raised by my mother. And so then again, with the, my mother's employers, you know, I did, I was able to uh, get some income, some money because there was a non-exclusivity clause where they could pay out and suicide wasn't, wouldn't be X'd out because it was suicide. And so I've had relatives who would ask me for money. Oh, well, can you pay me back because of the funeral? And that wasn't even discussed. I, I paid for the funeral. Can you pay this back? I paid for this. And it did, it got so, to be so overwhelming. And I had another relative say, hey, why don't you pay me back for things that I gave you when you were a kid? It's a list of things. Like, it was just insane. Oh, that's amazing. I've never heard of such a thing. That is so bad. And it was just like, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. I had to get away from my family. So it went going from that and then ending in this situation. This is how some of the things happened. I know I was not in a good space. This concludes part one with Danielle. Be looking for Danielle's story, part two, on the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.